bringing hope to many around the globe, transforming lives into legacies. Living Word with Pastor Mensah Otobu. And now, today's word. Well, as you know, I'm, I started a, a series from last week, and so I'm continuing uh, uh, today. I said that it will likely be a six-part series. Um, it may go beyond six parts. It probably will end up as an eight-part series. Um, but for now, I'm working with six in my mind and uh, working my way through. So this will be part two of my message, and uh, it's the life in the spirit. This is part two of life in the spirit. As Christians, we live in the spirit. We live a spiritual life. Our life, although it's physical here on earth, is spiritual in essence. And it's important that we understand what it is uh, when we say uh, something is a spirit and, and what it is when we say something is physical. And, and so last week I taught that we are spirit beings and uh, I went ahead uh, teaching from the book of Job and uh, backed it up with other scriptures. So today I will go a little further. My subtitle is Spirit and Soul. Spirit and Soul. And we're going to look, begin by looking at the two accounts of the creation of man in the book of Genesis. When you look at the book of Genesis, uh, there are two accounts of the creation of man in chapter 1 and in chapter 2. And uh, although they seem like different actions, they are two sides of the same uh, fact or the same coin, as they, as they say. So... Uh, in chapter 1, uh, something is said about God creating man. In chapter 2, something is also said about God creating man. And we're going to find out what are the uh, unique things we should be looking at in these two accounts. Because they have to deal with who we are as human beings. So we're going to start first with the account in Genesis chapter 2. And this is Genesis chapter 2 and verse number Seven, And it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. Now, if you were reading the old King James Version, it would say, And man became a living soul. But the New King James says living being. It's just a few words in, in the scripture. And one of the things we must do as we study the scripture is to know that many times a lot of ideas are compressed in just one verse. And unpacking that verse uh, takes a lot of effort. Because although it seems like a simple statement, in there is so much. It's a summary of so much of God uh, has done. The passage knows that man was formed both from the dust of the ground and the breath of God. The dust of the ground and the breath of God. Of course, the dust of the ground refers to the body of man. And uh, I'm not going to pay much attention there. So for the purposes of what we are looking at, I'm going to pay attention to two phrases used in the verse. The first 
is breath of life. Breath of life. And the word for breath is nishema. In the, in the Hebrew, we encountered this word last week, the breath of God from the book of Job. The breath of God is the same word here, breath of life. And this breath of life came from God. It came from God. The, the scripture actually says God breathed this breath of life into the nostrils of the man. The breath of God. The Nishema. Then there is another phrase I want us to pay attention to. And that phrase is living being. Living being. The word being is nefesh in the Hebrew. And it is also translated in English as soul. Nefesh. The nefesh comes from the Nishema. So the breath produced the soul. And so this is what man became. God breathed into man and man became a living soul or a living being. So the soul of man, therefore, can be said to have come from a combination of the dust of the ground and the breath of life. So the breath of life coming into contact with the dust of the ground produced the nefesh, the soul. The soul of man is a product of the breath of God and the dust of the ground. It's very important. The word soul is important and I would, I would just take a little time to explain what it is. Simply, that word in the Hebrew, if you were to literally translate it in English, would be that which breathes. That which breathes. Because God breathed into man and man started breathing. So soul, basically, nefesh, is that which breathes. That which breathes. Something that is able to breathe or something that is alive. So... When you look through the, the Bible, you'll find that this word nefesh, soul, is sometimes used to describe even animals. Why? Because they breathe. They breathe. They have nefesh. They can breathe. They have this life also in them. But particularly, the nefesh refers to human beings, people. As a whole. So uh, many times when you read the Bible, you'll find that human beings are described as souls. For example, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 5, Genesis 12, 5, it says, Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Now, if you uh, if you have the old King James, that word that is translated, the people, is translated as souls. Because in Hebrew, it is nefesh. That's why when we are going to spread the gospel, we say we are going to win souls. We are going on soul winning. Now, what, what, when we say we are going on soul winning, basically we say we mean that we are going to bring people to Christ. 
but the people are called souls. So the word nefesh, although it describes a particular entity called the soul, and we'll look at that a little bit, but it also describes a human being in general. A human being in general is a soul. The word is further used in the Old Testament also to describe our emotions and our passions. My soul thirsts for the Lord. And when you read such things in the Bible, it talks about our emotional passion, our desire for God. So the nefesh, although it describes a human being, it also describes the emotion and the passion. It also describes the mind, the intellect, the memory, understanding, knowledge of man. It also describes the will of man. Other times, nefesh can mean the character of a person. Now, because this one word has so much application, it can mean anything that breathes, including animals. It can mean a human being. It can mean the emotion. It can mean the will. It can mean the mind. It can mean your character. Interpreting it is always not that easy. And, and that, you know, is one of the reasons why uh, interpreting the Bible is not as simple as it is written there, so it means that. Because you have to understand the context within which a word is used and what it means within that context. Because one word can mean a person, and another time it means the will, or the mind, or even an animal. So, if you don't translate it well, you are going to come up with all kinds of theologies that are not in in agreement with the fullness of the Bible. But all I'm saying is that the word nefesh, which is translated soul, is a very broad word. So, that is what we get from Genesis chapter 2 verse 7. And uh, uh, just to also... Note that the word nefesh in the Old Testament is not translated as spirit. It is translated as soul or will or a human being, but never as spirit. Because there is another word for spirit. We encountered it last week. So then we will go to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. The other account of the creation of man. Genesis chapter 1 verse 7. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. I've said this many times in in preaching that in the Bible, repetition of words is very, very crucial to understanding what is the intent, what is being communicated. So when you, you, you see a verse and you see several words repeated, created is repeated, image is repeated, then it means something particular is being communicated to us. So in this passage of Genesis chapter 1 verse 27, the word created is used three times, just in one verse. God created, he created, he created three times. And the word image is used two times. And the word God is used two times. 
So if you just take those repeated words, the, the three words that you must pay attention to uh, is God, because it's repeated twice, created, repeated three times, image, twice. So if you will summarize the whole of Genesis chapter 1 verse 27, it will be God created image. God created image. Everybody say that together. God created image. Now if you look at Genesis 2 verse 7, God breathed and man became a living being, but it doesn't say image. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 27, it says image, it doesn't say a living being. So they they are both addressing different aspects of the human being and how God brought them into being. Are you following me? Alright. So God created image. That's the most important thing. God's image is created. In Latin, God's image is imago Dei. The image of God. What does that mean? When the Bible says God created man in his image. What does that mean? Because that, that word is used only for man. It's not used for the animals. It's not used for the trees. It's not used for any other thing. So God created image. What is the image? Because the image cannot be nefesh. Why? Because the animals also have nefesh. So what God created, which he calls image, cannot be something that other creations share. It is very unique to man. Are you following me? So there is something God created in Genesis 1.27 that is called image. And it is unique to man. Nobody shares it. Nobody else shares it. Except God himself and man. The animals don't have it. God has created them. They have nefesh. But they don't have image. So it's important then to discover what image is. What is this imago Dei? This image of God. What is it? What is it about man that is the image of God? The Hebrew word that is translated as image, there uh, in verse 26, there are two different words, image and likeness. But in 27, only image is mentioned. So I focus on image. The, the image, the word that is translated as image is basically something that looks like you. Something that looks like you. It's like your picture. Something that looks like you. So God created something that looks like him. So what is it about man that looks like God? Is it our nose? Is it our hands? Is it our height? Is it our skin color? What is it? Of course it cannot be our physical being because God is not a man. So the image cannot be the physical body. That, that's totally off. It cannot be the nefesh too. Because the animals have it. So it's left us with only one option. That the image can be. Which is unique to man. The image simply means God's kind. 
And what is God's kind? God is a spirit. God is a spirit. The image is spirit. Who God is in essence. God is a spirit. This does not mean that man is God. But it simply means that man has something that God has. Not the fullness of what God has. But something that God has. And that is spirit. Now if you look at the passage. It says that this image or this spirit was created by God. The word used for creation in this verse is the same word that is used for creation for the beginning of the creation process in Genesis chapter 1. That means God originated it. God originated it. It is totally from God. It originates from God. It comes from God. And the most important thing you would find is that this image is given to both male and female. Male and female created he them. So the male and the female both have this imago day, the image of God, spirit. Now the difference that what 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 distinguishes it is that when you go to the Genesis 2 account especially when you go to verses 21 and 22 it says that later on God took the rib of of Adam and made the woman so if you're looking at that account uh, it would then tell you that the woman came from the man because God took from the rib and made the woman But if you go back to the original in Genesis chapter 1 verse 27, the creation of the image, God did not give one something to give to the other. He gave both of them equally image. And that is the basis of the equality of men and women. Spirit. Male and female, he created them as what? As image. And that is why in the New Testament, this doctrine is affirmed. In Christ, there is neither male nor female. Why? Because both male and female have image, spirit. The woman does not get his spirit from the man. Neither does a man get his spirit from the woman. Both get their spirit from God. But the body, the man got his from the earth. And the woman got hers from the side of the man. But as you know, the body is only a tent for the tenant who lives inside. And the tenant is the imago Dei, the spirit that God gave to man. Not the spirit of God, but the spirit of of the same nature as God is spirit. Are you following me? 
Alright. Now this is so important because if you understand this, it helps us to then be able to position human beings correctly. So we know that man has a soul. How did he get the soul? When the breath of life came into the body, he became a living soul. But aside from that, man has something else which is not soul. It is called image. And it bears the likeness of God and that is spirit. So man first has a spirit. Then God created a body to house the spirit. And in creating the body to house the spirit, man acquired a certain property called soul. So he is a spirit, he was given a body, and in the process, he also acquired a soul. A spirit, a soul, and a body. Man is a spirit, he has a soul, he lives in a body. Where did the soul come from? The breath of life. Where did the body come from? The dust of the ground. Where did the spirit come from? The image of God. Created, originated by God. There is something in you as a human being that the earth did not give you. And your parents did not give you. Your parents only gave you a body. But there is something that only God gives to a human being. And it is his image. Spirit. And you must learn who that spirit is. Next week I'm going to teach a lot on that. The spirit man. And who he is. Alright. Now because man has the soul and the spirit. And sometimes they look alike because they are the soul is invisible and the, and the spirit is invisible. Sometimes we confuse them. What is the soul? What is the spirit? The spirit is the soul. The soul is the spirit. They are all the same. But they are not the same. If they are the same, then we are like animals. Because animals also have nefesh. Then you and animals are the same. That is where the scientific world wants to reduce human beings too because if they make us animals then we can excuse animalic behavior but we are not animals we are higher than animals in creating spirit God says let them have dominion who is them? spirit have dominion the dominion we have does not come from our bodies. It comes from the spirit that God put into man. Alright. Okay. So let me just push it a little bit. Because we have these parts. You know, sometimes because when you teach this and people say. Then you know I worship God with my spirit. Not with my mind. You don't have to add your mind. The soul is not involved in worshipping. Uh, or or the, the body. You can't use the body to worship. So, so, so then, then, then worshipping God becomes just a very narrow expression. But I want to take you to the Old Testament to what the Jews call the Shema. The Shema is the foundational declaration of Judaism. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, 
verse 4 and 5. The word Shema means hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, Adonai Elohim, the Lord is one. Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Then proceeding from that, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. In other words, because God is one, you can't only let one part worship him. All of it must come as one part to worship the one God. Are you following that? The Lord is one. So you can't say, oh, I worship God with my spirit, but my soul is not worshiping God. Oh, I worship God with my soul, but my body doesn't worship God. Those of you who come to church and don't move your body. When you worship God, your spirit must worship, your soul must worship, and your body must worship. Why? Because the soul and the body and the spirit must all come as one entity to worship the Lord. That is God's fundamental instruction. Now, the three things he mentions there, the heart, the soul, and the strength. The heart is called conscience, and we'll find out later that sometimes the spirit is interchanged with heart. The heart refers to your conscience or your spirit. The soul refers to your will or your mind, includes your emotions, your intellect, and the strength refers to your ability or your body, what your body is able to do. So, worship should be total. It should be total. It should be total. That's why you cannot divide yourself in worshiping God. And that's why coming to church is also important. Because Christian worship was not designed to be individualistic. Jesus did not say, I will build believers and the gates of hell shall not prevail. He says, I will build my church. A body. We are the body of Christ. Body. One body. Worshiping God. That truth runs through the whole of our Christian expression. So here, we see that every part of us should worship God. I like particularly uh, the Magnificat of Mary in Luke chapter 46, verse 40, at, uh, chapter, four, chapter 1, verse 46 and 7. Luke 1, 46 and 7. This is Mary magnifying God after... Uh, she met Elizabeth and, 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 and confirmed uh, that she's carrying the Messiah. And she's, she says something that's very interesting. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. In her worship, both spirit and soul are submitted in worship to God. What does that mean? It means that when we worship God, God wants our mind involved. So you can't be worshipping God. Oh, I worship you, but your mind is somewhere at Kokumlimli thinking of Banku you're going to eat after church. No, that's not worship. That's why Paul says, I will sing with the spirit 
And I will sing with my mind, my suke, and my numa will both sing. I will worship with both. Worshiping requires full attention. Full. Because your spirit must be in tune, your mind must be in tune, and your body must be present. Each of these must be present. Why? Because that's how God created us. Although we are three parts, the three parts is one. And God is one and wants us to worship him as one. Don't divide your worship. Don't divide. Don't say, ask for me, when I worship, I can't even lift up my hand. My body has to be fixed because it's all in your heart. It's all in your heart. Have you heard people say, it's all, it's all your heart. Are you sure it's all your heart? He said, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with what? All your heart and all your soul and all your strength. Don't, don't make rules for God. God makes rules for you. So you cannot say, oh, I'm worshiping God. But you know, this is all, worship is all from the heart. Yeah, we know it's from the heart, but that's not all. Your mind must be present. You cannot be absent-minded in church. You cannot be absent-minded when you're praying, absent-minded when you're worshiping. Body inactive. Because God created your spirit. But the, even the earth that produced your body, he created it. And the breath that made you a soul, he breathed it. So everything must be deployed to worship him. Somebody give the Lord a mighty clap. All right. You know, many times when you teach on these things, people say, so how can you know what is spirit, what is soul? What is spirit? How do you know all these different? Because there's all manya in there. <laughs> so I, that's why I'm teaching this. And I'm, I hope that by the time I'm through, uh, there will be a bit more clarity. Uh, and we'll have, have better help in applying this. Hebrews 4, 12. For the word of God is living and act and powerful. And sharper than any two as sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. And of joints and marrow, and the designer of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So, what is this saying? Basically, it's saying the word of God knows the difference between spirit and soul. For anybody who says the soul and the spirit are the same, how do you then explain this scripture? Because bone and marrow are not the same, they are joined, but they are not the same. Thoughts and intents are not the same. They all occur in the mind. But one says, oh, I wish I was a millionaire. And the other says, I will do this and that to be a millionaire. The one that says, I will do this and that is intent. The one that says thought, oh, I wish. That's a thought. But they all occur in the mind. One gives an idea. One gives us a commitment. Commitment to the idea. Bone and marrow. They are all together, but they are separate. So if you look at the logic of the verse, thought and intents are not the same, bone and marrow are not the same, and definitely spirit and soul are not the same. If spirit and soul are not the same, how can we tell the difference? You can't tell it with your own mind. You can only tell it by the word of God. Part of what I am doing now 
is using the word of God as a two-edged sword to try to delineate something that is joined to show that the soul and the spirit are not the same. That's why I looked at Genesis 1.27 and I looked at uh, Genesis 2.7. Two different creation accounts. Two sides of a coin. But they tell us the delineation. How do we know the difference? Only the word of God is able to tell us the difference between the soul and the spirit. You can't tell it by yourself. You can be doing something uh, which you think, oh, this is my my spirit and it, it will just be your soul. Just an emotion. You know, it's like when, when we are worshipping, a song can be raised. And when the song is raised, there will be tears in your eyes. And you say, oh, I love this song. But the reason why the tears is not really your spirit is because it's nostalgic. It's bringing back something you learned in class six. This was the, our marching song. So when it's sung, oh, right here, right here. Oh, God. Oh, I feel the presence of God. No, it's your soul. It's your soul. Nostalgia, memories coming back. That's not spirit. Don't confuse that with spirit. How do you know he's going to use the word of God to tell you this one is memory? Or if you used to be a Presbyterian and then you become a charismatic, you come here and then you hear us sing a Presbyterian hymn. Then you go down your knees. Ah, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. It's not the spirit, my friend. We have to cut it. We have to cut it. We have to cut it. That's the soul. That's your memory. That's your emotion. Worshipping God. It doesn't mean it's bad. I'm just saying, don't confuse it with the spirit. (laughs) Don't confuse it with the spirit. All right. So we know that the word of God tells the difference. Amen. Next week, I'm going to uh, uh, continue and I'm going to teach on the, the, the spirit man. Who that man is. Who that, or people say spirit woman. Whatever you call it. <laughs> you know, we'll, 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 we'll deal with that. Thank you for listening to Living Word. To interact with Pastor Mensah Otebe, like his page on Facebook. Follow him on Twitter at Mensah Otebe. Email otebe at centralgospel.com or call plus 233-302-688-000.